It's your old pal Slim, and you're listening to Faves, an upbeat talk show where the guests choose a favorite topic to discuss. And in this episode, that's a comic book. I've learned a ton from Tia Basilio over the years through her own life experiences and education, and I knew having her on again would make me feel smart. We've podcasted together over the years, and you can hear her interview series called This Is Not An Interview over at the I Read Comic Books podcast. She chose Ron Wimberly's Prince of Cats, a lush graphic novel that is a modern-day retelling of Romeo and Juliet, focusing on Tybalt and the minor characters. Not only that, but it mixes hip-hop, 1980s Brooklyn, and also samurai swords. Later in the episode, we also talked about Lyra rings and our decaying flesh suits. Enjoy. I remember when I bought the book... He, I got the hardcover and he was like, make sure that you take the dust jacket off and look at the book because it's really beautiful. Mm. And I was, I told him, I'm going to save it for when I'm having a really bad day and mm. I just need a, like a nice surprise. I'm just going to like right. pick it up and take off the dust jacket. And he was not wrong. You did it like a second before this interview. <laughs> and that was the first time we did it. <laughs> I didn't realize uh, that DC had originally published this. Yeah. Almost a decade ago, or, it, or more. Oh my God, I'm this showing, is showing me the, the hardcover cover. It's beautiful. Another thing I didn't know, he did some issues of my one of my favorite comic book runs, which was She-Hulk by Charles Soule. Oh, yeah. He did like uh, maybe four and five, and I actually loaded them up on Comixology just to see. And you can get a piece of the art style, but it's very different. Almost like he was trying to fit into that She-Hulk mo- mode, right? Uh, where he wasn't going all out. But you could definitely see some of the kind of wide-angle like shots of the character being close to your view and like getting longer towards the back end, but it was mm-hmm. very interesting. Yeah, something that I think really stands out in Prince of Cats, um, you you talk about certain artists as, as being really good actors or being really good at portraying acting. And there's a lot of panels in this book that are you know, silent. You know, there's, yes. there's like pages of, of, in some cases, and there's a lot of fight scenes, but there's also a lot of really quiet moments. And they are not, it's not dead air. Like everything pushes the story forward, even if it's just like someone's facial expression or the, the way that they're standing or something like that. So... That's very difficult to do. You don't even really see that in what you would consider mainstream comics of of an, of an artist or writer being so confident that they can convey strong emotion without using sp- speech bubbles at the wazoo. Like mm-hmm. there are so many panels that I screenshotted where they're having, you know, this interlude, this conversation, and then there's like maybe five or six panels of no one speaking, but their body moves. And it conveys yeah. everything mm-hmm. that you need to know right away. And in some cases, almost imperceptible. Like there's a couple of panels where I it's, I think it's Julia. I don't think it's Rosalind. Yeah, here. So there's these panels where Julia is looking at the dual list and like all that changes is kind of the angle of mm. her head a little bit, her eyes kind of narrow. And it it says a lot about what, is going on at that moment, even though it's not like crazy mm-hmm. action. I mean, there is a lot of crazy action oh, in here sure. also. The book is pretty much a mix equally of Japanese samurai meets New York City 1980s meets Romeo and Juliet meets hip hop. And everything is like turned up to 10. And when I was reading it, you get 
kind of the Shakespearean poetry slash hip hop lyrics in the book. Mm -hmm. And I felt smarter because I didn't feel like an idiot when I was reading it like I did like way back when I read, read Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. It almost feels like you're reading liner notes from like a new album and written out in a graphic novel. I thought it was amazing. I know. I remember when I first read it and I would be like halfway through a scene before I realized like, oh, we're actually in a Shakespeare, like a, a Shakespeare scene from the original play now. There are a few sprinkled in here and there actually towards the end because um, the story is mainly about Tybalt mm -hmm. and spoiler alert in Shakespeare's place, Tybalt dies uh, like, you know, somewhere in the middle of the play. Right. So, and that's the end of the book for I honestly couldn't even remember like 99% of the play or the, the, <laughs> the general story. So when it was like Tybalt 90% of the time, and I was like, man, what is going on here? Where's Romeo? Where's Juliet for that matter? Yeah. Um, because the, almost the main stars are like Tybalt, Juliet, who is kind of like in high school. Yeah. I mean, um, she's 14 in the original play okay. too, so and rosalind rosalind yeah right so this is what i love about this book okay so in the shakespeare play when we first meet romeo he's really hung up on on rosaline mm. oh, i didn't know that yeah and he's like feeling very um you know angsty because she's not returning his affections mm. and um, and then he sees Juliet and he instantly forgets about her because Romeo is that kind of guy, apparently. <laughs> I was wondering what adjective or yeah. superlative you were going to use there. But um, but I actually think that, that whatever adjective one could use there, like it, it's in this book in a really interesting way because so what happens in here is is it's it's really, it's strongly implied that the reason that Rosalind does not pay attention to Romeo anymore and breaks his heart is because she is into Tybalt and mm -hmm. and she's having a, a thing with Tybalt, which makes the fight between them really kind of more multi-layered. And um there's a scene, well there's a few scenes, but Tybalt is really just concerned with moving up in the dual list yeah the dual list yeah. plays a huge part of the book um I, you know i mentioned samurai uh stylings but pretty much everyone in each house is walking around with a samurai sword in their mm -hmm. belt and they're obviously they're and they're dressed very well it's like 80s but it's almost like maybe this was done in the 70s where like what's the 80s gonna look like and it's like very more stylized <laughs> yeah it's definitely like super cool fashion mm -hmm. Um, but I feel like one of the major themes in this book that I find really beautiful is this idea of youthful masculine self-obsession. Hmm. And it isn't necessarily malicious, but it is fatal because, I mean, obviously they're killing each other in murdering duels. Death. But then there's also like Rosaline really cares about Tybalt. You know, she's a photographer and she takes all of these really poignant kind of portraits, a lot of them candid of Tybalt. You know, they're hanging all in her apartment when she's developing them. And then, you know, there's a couple of love scenes where they sleep together. Make whoopee. And um, he 
is still thinking about the duelist, yeah. you know, and there's even a point where she's just like, what the hell? And, and, you know, and he gets up and leaves and the look on her face is just like every girl ha- knows what that moment feels like mm-hmm. because it is a common feature of, of young masculinity that they're just so self-obsessed and often to this like really extreme and not at all uh, healthy, you know, like I don't know. I think that 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 youthful, fatal youthful folly, especially as it pertains to masculinity, I think is really well done in this book. I, if I was living in this world, I would be crapping my pants constantly <laughs> for fear of being sliced up by Tybalt or someone in another family. I don't know how they do it. Tybalt like murders oodles of people in this book to move him of- up the duel list, but it's like he's barely even stressed out about it. No, he's it's so true. confident in his abilities, and I don't know. He just like I don't know how he does it. I, I mean, mean, he jumps out of the bedroom with her, like you just said, to jump into another duel. He leaves Juliet at a caris, like a you know, an amusement park at and, Coney Island. Oh, was it Coney yeah. Island? And and he has like you know, no feelings about it. No, I know it's true. The the sort of abstractedness that they have towards the consequences of these duels and there's even a funeral in the in the beginning of the book so and the adults are very distraught over it and that's something that i think is just so well done in this book especially for it being um like you said almost liner notes but for the shakespeare play Mm -hmm. like that play is about dumb kids and Something that this book really captures that I think a lot of people don't associate with the play all the time is is that like youthfulness, but the, a sort of darker side of it where you really you're like abstracted from these consequences. Yeah. What was um, Juliet's relationship with Tybalt in the book? In the in the play. In the play. I mean, you know, it's not as fleshed out as it is here. Mm. Um she's really upset when he's killed. You know, I think that the way that they're sort of, I mean, she does kind of say at some point, one of her friends is like, you know, Oh, he's pretty cute. And she's like, he's my cousin, Mm. but they do have a kind of relationship where they're, you know, like they're hanging out and that, you know, they seem pretty close. It's like the crux of the, the, the ending of the book, like their relationship in a way, because, I was actually kind of super confused the first time I was reading it. So I read it a second time, but they go out and they're hanging out at Coney Island, kind of like on a date almost, but maybe Tybalt doesn't view it as that. She kind of views views it as like a way to show her, show him that she's not like a 14 year old. She has her, like her dress hiked up. Mm -hmm. um, And there's allusions to other (laughs) things with the girls in the, in the the bathrooms, the the rocket pop ice cream. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. To kind of show it an example of her her, uh, maturity. Right. She wins a kind of necklace at Coney Island and he sees a duel happening and he leaves her and never comes back, comes back. And then fast forward towards the end of the book, Romeo is kind of flirting with Juliet. And then later he sees Romeo with that necklace mm-hmm. and it infuriates him. And that kind of brings them to the final duel of the book. I like totally missed the first time I read it with the necklace part uh, because at, like on first read, I was like, man, 
Juliet and Romeo are married? Like, what is going on? That happened, like, what is it? They've been going out for one day? And you, did you forget that that's literally what happens in the play, though? I, I did. I did. <laughs> totally did. I was on Wikipedia, like, oh what? Explain to me, like, I'm a three-year-old, what happened to Juliet? <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, oh, my God. So the second time I read it, I, I got it. But okay. there's many little nods that, if you're like me, who, I guess, reading too fast, um, there's a lot of subtle subtle beauties in this book that are easily missed. Yeah, definitely slow down and take everything in in this book. It's really like the storytelling is done in little details like that as much as the dialogue. Mm -hmm. I have a whole theory about why Juliet gets married to him like in a day. Because... Oh, uh, no, you go ahead. I don't know why I tried to interject there. <laughs> Can I give you a man's perspective and tell you what my opinion is? <laughs> I've never read this book, but let me tell you. <laughs> um, so in the original play... Juliet's parents are trying to make her marry this guy Paris and she doesn't want to marry him. And so in the, like Renaissance Italy, pretty much the only recourse that she would have to not be forced to marry this guy is to marry someone else. Mm. Uh, and, and Romeo is like just dumb enough to go along with it because as I said, he's like in love with love. Like mm. he loves Rosalind. He loves Juliet. He loves everyone. So in the book or in the original play, they meet, and then literally, like, that night, Juliet's like, okay, look, here's what we're going to do. You're going to meet me here. We're going to do this. We're going to get married. That's how this is going to go. And Romeo's like, yes, fine. Good plan. Yes, dear. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that you could do a feminist reading of that where Juliet knows that she doesn't have a lot of options for autonomy. But as a, you know, if she marries Romeo, her parents can't make her marry anybody else they're not going to make her get divorced. Mm -hmm. And then at the end, when she sees that Romeo's dead and kills herself, it's not because she can't live without Romeo. It's because she knows that now her parents can like make her marry Paris. Interesting. Yeah. That's, I mean, I don't know. That's Wikipedia true. didn't tell me that. Well, there's a, there's a few scenes where you get kind of the background on a lot of the characters, Petruchio's background you know, the book starts out with them alluding to Petruchio being killed and they're kind of sad about it that their friend is not with them. There's a couple of funny scenes where they're talking about his some of his jokes and Juliet even retells one of the jokes, which was cracking me up when I read it. Um, but he shows himself to be kind of like an artist. He has one arm only, but they allude to him being like a better swordsman than most, even with one arm. Mm -hmm. And they show in a flashback his death and... Romeo kind of comes out of nowhere while he's spray painting a wall and and kills him. I was confused slightly by why Romeo went after him, kind of almost like in cold blood. It, there wasn't a lot of backstory on Romeo challenging him or why he was going after him. I would assume the duelist, but yeah. did you have an interpretation of that scene? I've always just read it as the duelist, you know, and that kind of goes back to what I was saying where it's just this like sort of breathtaking hubris that these kids have you know where they they're so self-obsessed and they're so wrapped up in this in this cultural thing that they don't really associate it with any kind of consequences like mm -hmm. being dead <laughs> right yeah or killing and uh, because yeah they're so unaffected by killing each other or like yeah. and there are limbs being hacked off like i i just opened it to one of my favorite pages and 
someone's getting stabbed in the eye. <laughs> but my my favorite panel in all of comics is in this book. Really? Yeah. What is it? Uh, so there's a they're at a dance club, and uh, Tybalt steps on someone's shoe. It starts a fight because like dudes in their shoes, mm, their kicks. Yes. Uh, so so Tybalt stabs him in the eye, as one does. Of course. And uh, the DJ leans into the mic and goes, "Blood on the dance floor." <laughs> <laughs> I love that, and it's like a really small thin panel at the bottom of the page like ron really if you're listening i will give you all my money if you make all the merch with that panel on it <laughs> those are some of the best panels in the book we're always the kind of last panel widescreen yeah of either someone saying one line or someone saying nothing and yeah. they were they were so beautifully done the other thing that i think is spectacular about this book is the color palette mm. and it's not the same color palette throughout although it is very consistent like you it's it's of the same aesthetic i would say but you know like when it's nighttime it it ha it feels like nighttime and then when rosaline's taking pictures uh i'm looking at some of the pages now it's like the black inks with just like blues and reds like undeveloped film mm -hmm. and you know when they're at coney island it's really kind of like a almost like an instagram filter kind of like washed out colors like sunshine the fight scenes are really vivid jewel tones yeah he could teach a course just on the color color work yeah, of this book yeah it's so good there was another scene that i really liked um when rosaline was with tybalt and she's trying to have a conversation with him this is kind of post coitus mm -hmm. uh or pre who does <laughs> And she's trying. Okay, why not both? <laughs> yeah. She's trying to have a conversation with him, but she doesn't realize he's sleeping. Yeah. And there's a really deep scene of no dialogue where she's just kind of uh, naked, holding and picking up his sword, and she unsheaths it and kind of just holds it over his throat. And it's just like a fleeting moment. Mm -hmm. She pick picks it back up, puts it back in the sheath. But you can kind of read into that moment and get varying degrees of interpretation. You know, she wants to see like what, what it's like to be Tybalt. Like, is this what all these men feel running through the streets? And maybe she just like, doesn't even see the desire or the power uh, in that moment. She just like moves on and puts it back. I just thought it was very touching. And then the very next page, she's curled up. They're like spooning in bed and she's sleeping and she has a dream where he's a big cat. And then a fox runs by and he goes chasing after it. And then th that happens. He gets up and he and he leaves and her and she throws his pictures in the garbage. Yeah, I saw that. And I was wondering if that was a like a visual trick or that actually happened because I was trying to see is that trash can in the panel before that or after I know. that? Um, but then you look at the next panel the, after that and none of the pictures hanging in her apartment are of him anymore. Hmm. And I and that kind of goes back to what I was saying, where it's like every girl knows what that feeling is, where it's like, why are you like this? Hmm. Like, chill the fuck out. Am I allowed to swear in this podcast? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Just like, you know, you're so self-obsessed. You're so, this thing is consuming you. Why do you have to be such a drama queen about hmm. this? And what is like, 
what about this is all consuming to you? And then the decision to just be like, I actually can't do this with you. So go. Yeah. You know, done. Um, That I think is because this, there is this, there are women who are on the dual list, for example, and there's a scene where they won't fight her because she's a girl. Yeah. And she's the one that brings up the, uh, the popsicle. Oh yeah. And so I think that this sort of, uh, dynamics that the gender dynamics are really interesting yeah she totally got like she was serving hot dogs at like the nathan's yeah, or yeah. whatever and i thought it was interesting that they specifically said nathan's i so i love some of those specific references in this book my favorite is the samo graffiti mm. i don't know if you're familiar with Mm-mm. um I had to Google the Romeo and Juliet play. I think I'm <laughs> honestly familiar with it. Uh, so Samo was an art project that Jean-Michel Basquiat did with one of his friends back in, I don't know if it goes back into the seventies, but like um, in the eighties where Samo, they would tag that everywhere and they would have these, um, these like phrases that would go with it. Um, and it's all over the place in the book in the, mo- the first page, I think there's a ton of graffiti. Is that one that you mentioned? I don't think so, because I think that's the the graffiti that they're... Uh, okay. But if you look in the fight scene, the, which this fight scene is so freaking good at, in the subway. Mm. Like, which it's is... Mer- Mercutio. I mean, that's like taking the subway. <laughs> that happens. <laughs> that's the real violence and fear that you live <laughs> every day taking the subway. My favorite is when he like he cuts the guy's arm off and then he he like throws it out of the subway car at the stop and he's like says something about like, keeping yeah, the keep the subway clean, yeah, folks. Yeah, yeah, keep New York City transit clean. But yeah, you see on um, like the same graffiti in the subway um a few pages before that. Hmm. Uh yeah, same for the uh, so-called avant-garde. So did you mention that when you met Ron Wemberley at a con? I feel like you would have been on his okay list after that. Like, <laughs> oh, you you, met, you noticed that. Hmm. I don't remember. I was like, you know, I get very starstruck by artists who uh, make things as good as this. And I did tell him that, that I felt like his dialogue and iambic pentameter flowed really seamlessly into the Shakespeare scenes and that I often would be into the Shakespeare scenes several, you know, lines before I would realize that we, that it was from the original play. Mm. And he did get a kick out of that and make sure that I repeated it very loudly for his table mate <laughs> to hear. <laughs> Say that into this microphone so yes. I can keep it forever. <laughs> Which I was happy to do. It was very well deserved. Uh-huh. Are you generally a Shakespeare reader outside of this, before this, after this? So I got a D in college Shakespeare. How does one get a D? <laughs> is it like a lot of interpretation and writing uh, long, you know, essays on the work? What's that? What does that even entail? Um, I mean, if I remember correctly, I when would, you did show up, yeah. First of all, that. <laughs> <laughs> um. So my professor did not appreciate my death of the author stance t- t- on most things and so we had a little a bit of what does that mean ideological uh so a lot of the discussions that that professor wanted to have were about why a character would do this that or the other thing and i would always be like 
because Shakespeare made them. Why did Shakespeare make them do the thing is the more interesting question. And mm. he would be like, no, that's not what we're talking about. And I'm like, okay. But what if it was what we were talking about? Oh my God, you sound like a hellish student. <laughs> my God. I was the worst. I was the worst. He yeah. probably would like BCC you on email saying like, oh, actually, his schedule was canceled today, so don't worry about it. Or we're in this yeah. building, and he's just like sending you off on a goose chase. Yeah, I was probably a handful. I mean, I was like a freshman in college, so, no. you know, I thought I knew everything. You still think that. I know. <laughs> but... <laughs> At least now I have a degree of some kind to be like, I, I can back this yeah. up. I do not actually like, I love Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet movie. Uh, that was in my notes to mm -hmm. bring up. And I know that it gets compared to this book a lot. And I think that in the, in the sense that it is a sort of like really strong, colorful aesthetic yeah, they're similar, but, mm -hmm. and, and also I think that they both really captured the like youthful energy that I think is important to understand what's going on with, with the characters. Plus it has that Desiree song. Mm. song and the amazing. garbage song. Oh yeah. Great soundtrack. I mean, the whole soundtrack's amazing, but this book, like, you know, okay. I'm not a hip hop expert, mm. but I imagine that, that like there should be a, a soundtrack to yeah. this book. Yeah, that's right. There's, and I um, would buy it. Speaking of soundtracks, I started reading um, Murder Falcon. Have you read that yet? No. Uh, it's from Image and Darren Warren Johnson. Oh. Did Extremity. Yeah. And he has a soundtrack for that book because mm -hmm. the, the pitch of that is um, this down-in-his-luck guitarist. He he meets this large character. He's, a, he's like a giant falcon man. He's called Murder Falcon. Sure. And there's monsters coming into the city. And the only way to defeat these monsters is to empower Murder Falcon by playing metal. Nice. So it's that he has done a soundtrack and like this is the music you need to listen to while reading this issue. It's pretty interesting. That sounds like a lot of things that I would like. <laughs> so where would you send someone who has read Prince of Cats and liked it next? Like if there are maybe someone who just jumped in, like what would they is there a comparable piece of work in comic books that would be like a, a logical next step? Because it's very different than what's out there most of the time. I mean, I think it would depend on what aspects they really liked about it. And part of the reason that I love this book, and I actually recommend it to a lot of people, is that um, it's it's such a synthesis of so many things that you can be a person who's interested in Shakespeare. And then you read this and you're like, now I'm also interested in comics. Or you could be someone who's interested in hip hop and you read it and you're like, mm. hey, maybe I'm gonna like read some Shakespeare. I don't, and there's an essay in the beginning by a scholar um, named John Jennings who actually is at my alma mater. <laughs> she just touched her chest and somberly. <laughs> I, I wish that he had been there when I was there because I would have loved to take right. some of his classes. But um and he talks about sort of, you know, the the way that all of these different things are put together in this book. And so I think that, yeah, I mean, it really depends. Oh, yeah, I'm looking at it now. And, and uh, Kurosawa meets the Warriors meets Planet Rock. Yeah. The Warriors is another one that we haven't talked oh about. Gosh. But yeah. Love the Warriors. <laughs> Amazing. I know. In every way, shape, and form. So yeah, I, I think that the nice thing about this book is that there are so many different entry points into it, which means that there's also so many different ways you could bounce out of it, you know? I was thinking, going to this book on Amazon, I wonder what the suggested other 
yeah. like items are in related to this. That would be interesting to check out. I hope some of it's fashion related. <laughs> yeah, 80s retro futuristic fashion. So there, it's been options. I heard that. Yeah, I think that Lakeith Stanfield is perfect to play it's, to it seems like an amazing property to create yeah. elsewhere i wonder what the status update is i don't know do you watch atlanta no okay you should watch atlanta um because the care like i think the, the guy that they have have sort of uh top to play tibble is he's like i've described him to people as as so ethereal that like Tolkien wishes he had met this guy when he was trying to write his elves. He's just like, but he's not, but he's, Tolkien elves are like also kind of standoffish and mean, whereas this guy just has a sort of ethereal thing that draws you into him because it's like, it's a vulnerability that I think that you don't see often in like black masculinity in pop culture. Mm -hmm. And I'm really interested to see that brought out in this version of Tybalt because like I said, I don't think that there's any kind of like bloodlust or malice in what they do. It's this really abstracted idea of the thing that they're obsessed with. And I think that Lakeith Stanfield is going to, if he brings his sort of characteristic ethereal softness to it, I think that's going to be a a really beautiful dynamic. How do you feel about your book ending wicked uh, and divine? I don't know. Are you holding up? I mean, I was actually just saying the other day that even though I'm going to miss it and like, I feel like I've been through a lot with it, it, it's been done in a way that it feels like it's the ends. Like it wouldn't be right for it to keep going. It, it's a story that has an ending. It's going to end and we're, we're getting to that point. And like, I, I think that Kieran's really good at writing endings. So mm-hmm. I have every confidence that it will you know right be good yeah fitting finish yeah and then we have die so uh so i've been um i've been on my ig recently you have been uh, going full bore into some kind of Cirque du Soleil, <laughs> future-esque. I don't know what's happening. What is going on? You're on like a, a ring. Yes. And first of all, you've gotten like incredibly fit over the past couple of months. You're like a different person. I feel like you could bench press me and throw me out the window with your legs alone. I, I had several injuries in the first several years that you knew me, chronic injuries that took a really long time to heal and, and recover from. and those have been more or less taken care of. Taken care of. And that's not even to say that you looked not fit before. Oh, no. I mean, it was well, probably maybe, maybe, about as maybe unfit to you. as I've ever been. But. Uh, but like seeing you now, there's like not an ounce of fat on you. It looks like you've just done like five <laughs> Spartan races. And, but now you're on these like rings yeah. and you're doing, what? what is that what you're doing? It's called Lyra. It's a steel hoop that hangs from the ceiling. But what is it? Like, does it work? I'm, I'm assuming it works other different parts of your body that maybe wouldn't get exercise, but there's something more to it, right? It's a part of a bigger thing. I mean, it's a performance art. It's a circus aerial performance art. The main sort of, in terms of like muscle groups that you have to really have to be successful are you have to be able to like do pull-ups and you have to have 
like abs of steel. Like I can't even do most of the aerial conditioning that you have to, that, that we do. Like I, I can't even describe to you how strong these people are. So, but basically, yeah, you have to be able to, you know, pull yourself up and you have to, if you're hanging, you have to be able to like lift your legs up and touch your Mm -hmm. hands. And then also it helps to be really flexible because you kind of drape yourself around the hoop in various ways. Do you still teach? I am wrapping that up this year. So this is my last year that I'm doing that, at least as far as I know. Um, Our theme for the the competition dances this year is witchcraft, which they chose. Really? It wasn't just like random pieces of witchcraft that you left (laughs) in the rooms. Like, oh, what do you guys want to do this year? They are super into it. What do you want to replace teaching with? I mean, I would love to find another teaching situation closer to the city, but I'm actually, I just last night went to Steps on Broadway, which I've been wanting to do since I moved here, but I've been too intimidated. Really? And it was like walking into church. (laughs) What is it for those that aren't aware? Uh, It's just, it's a dance studio in New York that is uh, very famous and has a really wonderful faculty and i'd heard that the faculty was well known in part for buying ballet booties from half amanda can crochet anything you need whether it be sweat booties scarves knee things hats you name it she's waiting to hear from you and you won't regret it half um, it's most well known maybe from the movie Center Stage when love that movie. <laughs> I have the VHS. <laughs> oh, do you really? It's actually, honestly, I think I do it's in a our great basement. Movie. Um, there's a part where the ballerina is like feeling beat down at the school, so she leaves the school and goes to take class at Steps on Broadway just to like rekindle her love of dance. Mm. And the, so this literally happened last night, and it proves that nothing is real. <laughs> so. Th- this in the class that she takes, they do a combination to higher ground. And I walk in and there's a jazz class in progress and they are doing a combination to higher ground. Oh my God. And I'm just like, is it a rule that they have to do that once a day here? <laughs> like what's happening? Or they were getting wind. Someone's walking to yeah. the building. We got to get re- everyone get ready. Yeah. Start going. Um, but it, it was really fun. So yeah. So now- what does that mean that you were there? Or were you looking for like classes or like you walking in? Does that mean you want to become part of it or what does it? What happens next? I mean, I haven't taken dance in a long time because of all the injuries. And even though I've been working out and getting back in like general fitness shape, I'm not in dance shape. Mm. Um, so, but I would like to get back into dance shape and especially doing aerials. Um, it just kind of all fits together. You know, like ba- my basic philosophy is that the heaping insult upon injury of consciousness is that we have to live in these decaying flesh suits and and it's degrading they're like everything about having a body is degrading and so the only thing that makes it bearable is to force your body to transcend its own banality and do all of these fantastic things that was like the darkest most beautiful thing i've ever heard in my life (laughs) last time you were on the podcast is now called faves it's always been called faves uh you actually got comments on twitter asking for more recommendations about ballet i think from a listener friend of the show jeff how did that feel that was great i love that 
people are going to the ballet. And I also love that people are like taking steps to make the experience like make the experience better for themselves and for you know like some people if they just want to go and see it and like that makes them happy that's cool but i love that for people who maybe want to know a little bit more about it that they will that they spoke up and asked i'm happy to mm. you know we should follow up and find out how you liked it he's dead he- now <laughs> he died on the way to the ballet i'm going this weekend to see aliens what? Yeah, so on the re-release? Th- on, no, the, on Thanksgiving I saw Alien at, at a midnight screening, as one does. At the like, it, as at the, the forefathers ho- intended. <laughs> <laughs> Is that at the Hawk Theater? Was the IFC? IFC. Yeah, they were showing Big Lebowski too. There's Man, like, I know. Um, and then this weekend they're showing Aliens. That's so amazing. I figure I gotta see both. Have you ever seen Aliens before? Yeah, I love the like weird sexual tension between some of the soldiers in that movie (laughs) (laughs) where they're just like so amped up to go fight Mm -hmm. aliens and they're like slapping each other you know looking at each other biting their lips if you have ever met marines that's exactly how they behave (laughs) like just saying i want to join the marines (laughs) (laughs) i love the alien movies because like i i love the aliens like okay when it when the chest burster pops out and it looks around and it's, it's like, are you my mother? Are you my mother? <laughs> and they, and no one's, and no one is its mother. And then it runs away. Roll. I think technically it's like yelling death <laughs> out of its mouth in a not a, a are cute you manner. My mother? <laughs> It's pretty cute. There's like an alternate timeline movie where like you are in that film and you <laughs> grab the baby and then you become even more evil and you'd like run the universe. Someone write this up, please. <laughs> Tia, you can't hear me, but thank you for coming back onto Faves to discuss Prince of Cats. I'm glad I read it. Uh, real quick... If you want to get your letter heard on the next mailbag episode, you can send an email whenever you have the time. You know, you're in the bathroom at work on your phone. What else can you do? Send an email to favespod at gmail.com. Let me know what your favorite episode was, your favorite conversation, suggested guests. uh, If you want to be on the show, I know you do. I know you are thinking about a topic you want to discuss. Let me know what it is. And uh, as I say every episode, if you enjoyed a conversation uh, that you'd think a friend or a family member or enemy might like, text them, share the episode, retweet it, re-Instagram story it. It helps the show find uh, even more people to listen. That's it for this week. You know, sitting here in my office recording this, son's asleep. I asked him if he wanted to listen to the podcast, to his uh, Jaju and his father talking, and he said no. So I'm in here, and uh, that's it. Goodbye. <laughs>